Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, I don't know what's more important to talk about, the World Series or the presidential election. Well, given, kind of a toss that, up. given that the uh, the adoring audience will be hearing this on Wednesday morning, uh, November 4, uh, they That's will, assuming they get up early and listen to the very first day. Uh, of course they so. do. Uh, they will know more than we do at this point before the election. So, the really, the best, them thing, an unfair can, advantage the over best thing we can do is not talk at all about the election, not even one iota and just talk about our favorite Halloween candies because uh, anything we say will be out of date by the time you, dear listener, download this because be, we'll know more in a, just one, basically one day. That would be prudent, but we're going to resist the temptation yeah, we're gonna ignore to, that. to do what's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we yeah. will talk a, a little bit about the election. Specifically, are we in for an election lawsuit nightmare? Yes. Kind of a, you know, the Democrats uh, had a nightmare in, in 2000 right. when Bush versus Gore hit and, and the Supreme Court uh, gave the decision to Bush. And of course, the joke went around was, oh, it was pretty close presidential election. So what, what did uh, what was the, the final was the count? Vote? The final count. Oh, it was five to four. It was five to four. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the question is, will this become a recurring nightmare? Right. For is it going to happen again in yeah. Harris County, Texas, specifically, where uh, at the moment I'm sure we'll get into this, 127,000 votes uh, hang in the balance uh, of, a, of, a, of a of a decision already made uh, in favor of democracy by the Texas Supreme Court, but not uh, it left in the ha- final hands of the Texas Supreme. Court instead of a federal judge, a very Republican federal judge, uh, will be making a decision about whether drive-through voting can retroactively be deemed uh, to be too dangerous uh, voter fraud-wise. So we will get into that and all the uh, lawsuit palooza possibilities for the election. Uh, but also, uh, as I say, we wanted to talk a little bit about the World Series. Some fun aspects and some not-so-fun thanks to uh, the red-bearded Justin Turner. Yes. So let's start with the World Series. Of course, we're here on Los Angeles, Connor, and uh, I started rooting for the Dodgers. I want to say my first consciousness of baseball was 1959. So I'd have been six. I was watching the World Series between the Dodgers and the White Sox. And ever since then, I've been a a big Dodger fan. Yes, I've also become an Angels fan uh, since the 80s. I had uh, some uh, legal work connection with them, and so I was drawn to them. But basically, you know, from the time I was a kid, uh, the Dodgers were it. And the home oh my team. Gosh, 32 years, quite a drought that the Dodgers were That's able true. to. That's true. Meanwhile, our nemeses, the Giants, were running amok. Uh, but no, we don't hold that against them. We're not bitter uh, about the Bay Area, not even a little bit. Now, we're, we're, we've gotten over that. Well, now that we've won, we've gotten over it, absolutely. That's and now right. we've gotten to the phase where we're rubbing it in. So let me ask you this. Justin Turner knows he's been tested positive for COVID. Yeah. He's taken out of the seventh inning of the, of the sixth game, the uh, as it turns out, the final game of the World Series. He's sitting there glumly in some isolation cell, uh, listening to everybody screaming and, well, not too many people screaming and cheering and so on. But uh, he just can't resist. Apparently, I didn't realize it, it was about an hour uh, it, before he emerged from the catacomb and Incredible. decided to join the celebration because yeah. I guess it's natural the celebration would last uh, a long time. And so then he goes out there and he rips off the mask and he's hugging folks 
including uh, the Dodgers closer or former closer, Kenley Jansen, who I guess tested positive earlier in the year. Yeah, and who has said that he has never recovered. I mean, Kenley's story has highlighted uh, the reality that COVID is not just a disease uh, that kills old people and leaves everyone else untouched. There are many people who get serious cases of the disease who they call COVID long haulers. And there are also people who just can't quite get back into shape. And Kenley Jansen reduces the speed of the fastball from 95 miles per hour to 92. I mean, yeah, basically, Kenley, whose velocity is very, very important to him, uh, has been throwing high 80s more than he's been throwing low 90s now uh, since he recovered. And he has admitted to reporters, yeah, he hasn't really felt 100% since. Hopefully the offseason gets him back. But we actually have zero data about whether an offseason off will get somebody back from COVID. So did Justin Turner doom the chances of the of the Dodgers to have a repeat performance next year as he reinfects the entire team? Maybe. Well, let me ask you the legal question here, because this is a legal podcast. Yeah. Pete Rose was banned from baseball for life because yep. he gambled, not on his own teams, but just other baseball teams. Poor guy's an addict. What Why are you going to do? Why shouldn't Justin Turner be banned for life? Now, before you feel too sorry for him, I, I was noticing the list of the salaries. Uh, the Dodgers ace, <laughs> uh, Clayton Kershaw, gets $31 million per year. Justin Turner isn't too far behind at $20 million a year. So why shouldn't the commissioner of baseball say, you know, Mr. Turner, I know the punishment has to fit the crime, but uh, there may be people dropping dead as a result of what you did. But whether that happens or not, uh, hasta la vista, you're out of baseball for good. I mean, that could totally be the case. There are many, many instances in American legal history where people have said, said since the germ theory of disease rolled around and since basically women had the, you know, equal st- standing to, to sue in American courts, uh, we've had situations once we understood disease well enough to say, hey, uh, you had knowledge or should have had knowledge that you had contracted a sexually transmitted disease and you uh, had unprotected back then, you know, just normal sex with somebody. And boom, now I've got some dread disease that maybe never goes away like herpes or even one that's curable now that we have antibiotics in some people under some circumstances. So we're looking at uh, a case where, where the courts have said that's civil battery. Look, you know you've got a disease, and you expose it to uh, expose somebody else to that disease, uh, and they didn't consent to that. That's an unwanted touching of the person, whether it's you smacking them across the face with a glove right. uh, for a duel, uh, or whether it's uh, you know shoving somebody, or whether it's exposing them to disease. That is all the same thing. It, uh, there are even cases of, of civil battery, famous cases of civil battery that don't involve the touching of the person at all. After all, you can grab somebody by the lapel and shake them. You haven't touched their body, but you've touched their clothes which touch their body. You can snatch something out of somebody's hand. There's a famous case uh, about racism, basically, where uh, there was an all-white dining room in the South, and a, uh, a black professor who's at the hotel, uh, in order to receive a, a prestigious award, tries to eat dinner at the buffet, mm-hmm. and the racist uh, manager of the hotel walks up and snatches the plate out of his hand. He didn't touch him. He didn't even really hurt him in uh, any way. But, but close enough. But it was an exposure. Look, we, we call it, you know, an, un, uh, an unwell Welcome touching or advance or infringement on the person. We call that civil battery in lots of circumstances. And even if you didn't get the disease, I think 
having Justin Turner, who you know has tested positive, out on the field, breathing on your neck and yep. trying to hug you and holding your trophy, that's battery. And, you know, another odd example was several years ago, uh, a guy goes into a radio station, a talk show host as they're doing the show. Is this and you? Are you? you no, no, no. The, the, the incident was a guy who was in favor of the right to smoke cigars anywhere you want uh, goes into the studio and he fires up uh, his, his Havana cigar and he blows the smoke into the face of the host. And there was an actual lawsuit about wow. whether that was bad. Absolutely. But let me let me run this by you. Do you think that the tough call by the commissioner as to what to do with Justin Turner is going to depend on what happens within 14 days after oh, that yeah. sixth game? Such so a that if deal. nobody gets sick, yeah. don't count on on bouncing him out or even an enormous suspension. But if somebody does get sick and God forbid really sick or worse, then it could be a different. And I'm game. worried that they're trying to wait that out. That they're trying to sit on this decision uh, while well, it's logical because the they don't want to rush to judgment. They probably but want to gather all the facts, and these are important facts. These aren't important facts. It, that would be results-oriented decision-making. That would be looking at the, the outcome and saying, well, because uh, uh, the outcome was XYZ, then uh, the, the punishment is ABC. We should be saying the Of course, isn't there a difference between attempted murder and murder? You're right. And there's an, a, a difference between recklessly speeding where nobody gets killed versus recklessly speeding, crashing into somebody and killing them. Right. That's manslaughter versus simply reckless endangerment. And um, that is uh, a concept in the, the law of torts that we saw a lot of people would describe as moral luck. We say that one is morally worse than the other, even though the actions taken by the person are the same. If you drive drunk, and you knowingly drive drunk, and you say, oh, I just don't care about other people's lives, and you get behind the, the, the wheel and you crash into somebody, that's manslaughter, maybe, if they die. If they survive, it's not. You did nothing different. Right. And thus, we can only say the difference between those things is moral luck. I now, can remember from law school, uh, a hypothetical the professor tossed out to us, which was along the lines of, the guy goes into the bedroom, it's kind of dark, and he shoots uh, the, the person he he's hoping to shoot who's under the covers well turns out they weren't under the covers it was just pillows right same act right. regardless of whether there was a why body do we there say or not. attempted murder gets a lesser uh, punishment than murder yeah you're right the other horrible memory i have from law school uh, the first one besides was all really horrible yeah yep. but but a horrible memory is the very first day criminal law our professor marie schwartz who had been a clerk for the u.s supreme court wow. and he were all 60 or so of us sitting there in this in this big classroom scared to death and um, oh, he, you, oh, Murray Schwartz. I Murray think you said Sh- Marie Schwartz. No, it. Murray Schwartz is the professor. Murray and Schwartz, so, got Professor it. Schwartz says to the the crowd of students, he says, um, uh, "What about uh, what about this case here? Does anybody have a response to this?" One guy in the class, and I'll, I'll give you his name. He's a he's a Royal esteemed Forest professor. Oh, oh no, okay, no. Uh, his name is Dan Schechter, and so Dan raises his hand and he says. Uh, does the name Scienter uh, suggest itself, uh, sir? And everybody looked at him like, oh, my gosh, I hate you. I have no idea what you're talking about. He obviously knew everything there was to know in in the first year. So that was pretty scary. What a jerk. uh, Rubbing it in. Let's get to the the fun part about the the World Series. So as a lifelong Dodger fan, I mean, I was spoiled. In 1959, as a little six-year-old kid, uh, didn't know anything from anything, but Dodgers won, so that's great. In the 60s, the next decade, they also won in 63 and 65. They got crushed in four games in 66. But, hey, two out of ten ain't bad. So that was a pretty decent decade. 70s, not so great. They they lost to the A's. They lost to the Yankees. But still, they were in there in the World Series. But no championships. In the 80s, twice we win, 81 and 88. So here you are. You're rolling along. I've been rooting for them for decades. 32 years yeah. drought. And, I mean, these That's guys— That's hard to take. It is. And these guys really deserved it. Now, you— you obviously have a very disrupted season, and a lot of people 
Giants. And the irony is the other disruptive, uh, disrupted season, 1981, when there was a strike-shortened season, Dodgers won then as well. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, this this shortened season, this disrupted season that really threw everyone for a loop, everybody, uh, specifically the haters out there, the, the Giants fans out there, are going to say this isn't a real season, it's not a full season, you didn't really win the World Series, blah, 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 we're still a better team. There's an asterisk. Right, they're going to try to put an asterisk uh, on this World Series win, which is absolutely undeserved. I mean, this was uh, a, a decisive season. Uh, the Dodgers had a 71.7% winning percentage oh, yeah. in the regular best, season. Best in the major leagues. Since which the Pirates. earned them home field advantage throughout right. all the playoffs. The best. This is the best uh, winning percent, win percentage, game win percentage in the regular season since 1909 among people who go, uh, teams who then go on and win the World Series. That's an additional hurdle. You've got to have a great uh, uh, regular season percentage and then a great performance that actually wins you the World Series. And they crushed everybody for the last 111 years. So, I mean, yeah, uh, the season's thrown for a loop. But guess what? Every team was equally thrown for a loop. It's it's not like there were some teams that were, you know, overcome with COVID and they couldn't even field a team and the Dodgers were miraculously unscathed. Everybody had a basically same, the same sort of disruption and these guys just rolled with the punches better than everybody else and that's an incredible accomplishment. So now the next step, Connor, okay. is for the Dodgers to win back-to-back. And I was curious about okay, the sure, history you just want to shoot for the stars. I'm so in. here's the history. Uh, the, the team that's won the most consecutive World Series in history, the Yankees, at five. Nobody has gotten five, 49 to 1953. Next, the second uh, place is also the Yankees. They're the only ones that have won four in a row. That well, happened sure. in the 30s. Yeah. Now, who's won three World Series in a row? Only the A's in the 1970s. And then you got about nine teams that have won back to back, not the Dodgers. I'm telling you, it's going to happen next year without Justin Turner because he's a free agent. Yeah, exactly. And he's not going to feel he's comfortable not, in Los Angeles. No, he's not. I don't think he is at all. I think people will be. Unfortunately, I don't think enough fans will be angry at him because too many fans will just value his uh, you know, performance in the in the series and, and the playoffs generally and how, how well he you know brought the team together throughout the— But this is not an ex, this is not acceptable behavior, and I think he should be— uh, he should not be re-signed on this basis by the Dodgers. Being a free agent, even if he wanted to come back, I, I think the Dodgers should should show him the door. Speaking of coming back, when we come back, we're going to talk about whether or not Bush versus Gore will be a recurring nightmare oh, for Lord. the Democrats. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe. Thank Barkai. you so much for listening. Podcast. But it really, really would help if you go on your Apple Podcast page, leave us a review where you write about how great we are, and give us, a, I guess, a five-star uh, rating. Uh, but however you do it, it'll be a big help, and uh, it's uh, easy. It takes two seconds. We really appreciate it. We'll be back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm still Connor Oaks. And yeah, uh, election uh, night is coming up, and by the time uh, people have heard this podcast, it will be in the books. But one thing that may not be in the books is the result, which seems so weird. I mean, in the past, other than 2000 with the Bush versus Gore craziness, right? Uh, virtually always in American history, you know, it may take a long night. I can remember in 1968, staying up until practically dawn when Richard Nixon eked it out against Hubert Humphrey in Indiana was, was the decider. Uh, but other than that, it's generally, sometimes it takes till 11 o'clock, midnight one, but you kind of know. I think everybody's anticipating in between this um, absentee ballot situation. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it's COVID, I think, is the, is the big COVID, reason, right? right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's no reason to think that this follows the, this election will follow the normal pattern because we've got 
uh, state house Republicans, that is state level Republican officials in state uh, houses of representatives all around the country that are blocking bills and have been for the last six months or even longer, because a lot of states have been trying to do this for years to change the rules about when you can start counting ballots. Right. In, in lots of states, a lot of liberal states, they say when you get absentee ballots in, you can start counting them the week before the election, the month before the election, uh, the date of the election. Right. Before Election Day. You can, Why should anybody care when you start? That's exactly the point. And the reason— So why do the Republicans care? The Republicans don't want these these votes to be counted on Election Day because of the concept of the blue wave. There's this idea that has been borne out by stats that Democrats, for whatever reason, vote absentee uh, and early more— and differently than Republicans. But we're not going to know the result of the counting, regardless of when the counting starts or finishes. So right. why would anybody care when you start counting? Because the Republicans want to be able to declare victory early. They want to say, well, Trump is up by five points. This is the projected outcome, right? Really? There's this concept of the blue shift that Trump is going to be up by five points, maybe as many as five points in Pennsylvania when the election uh, on election night based on in-person day announce, of returns. you don't announce the returns until the polls close. Pennsylvania doesn't announce the uh, the returns, but the media organizations are going to call it based on exit polls and other factors so early that night that they're going to say, wow, Trump's up four or five yeah, points. That's something an interesting like that. point the you raised. I thought the, the media held off. I thought they held off announcing until the polls closed. Now, if you're saying that they're they going to wait until 8 p.m. Eastern yeah. and announce at 8.01 Eastern, which maybe will influence people out in California. No, no, no. That's not the concept. The concept would be they would base it off of in-person election day poll, uh, uh, exit right. polls. Exit polling, right. Exit polling, But they right. don't reveal those until the polls have Correct. closed. Then the polls have closed, and you can't affect the count anymore. Right. And then they announce, okay, we're going to call Pennsylvania, OAN, One America News, right? The complete wacko. Who, who love Trump in every scenario, they're yeah. going to call Pennsylvania uh, for Trump uh, at 801 Western, right? They're going to, they're, who even cares about Hawaii voting? It doesn't even matter. Right. It, it's, Trump has won the election period because he's up five in Pennsylvania. Okay. And then the blue shift of all the ballots that can't be counted until the start of election day or even noon on election day, these, a lot of state laws, so you can't start counting early. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to uh, count those votes and it's going to take days and days and days to vote. And after days and days and days, the Democrats are going to be up like 12, like 15 points in Pennsylvania because right. the blue shift is such a dramatic change. The difference between Trump up five and Biden up 12, that's a 17 point swing. And that's how big the blue shift could be right. in these important battleground states like Pennsylvania. That's why the Republicans want us in the state state houses want to stop people from counting these votes early so that all the results are available on election night. You need to be able to craft a narrative that Trump has won this, shut it down, stop counting, it's over, we're done, we need a result on election night. Why would anybody care so, about needing a result on election night unless you don't want to count some ballots? So That's in, the answer. In addition to the when are they going to start counting and so on, there's the question of how long after election day yes. may ballots come in If they were postmarked the by election day... Right. So here, here is the interesting dispute out of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, a week or so ago. There was a situation in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania said, you know what, we the legislature in Pennsylvania, we set the rules for uh, these, this election, and we say it's a pandemic. People need to be cut a little extra slack. So normally 
we would say your absentee ballot has to be in our hands on election day or else we won't count it. That's right. the normal deal. Sure. We're going to extend that. In some places. While. Right. So the Republicans go nuts and say they go to court and say, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. This whole you're making special exemptions uh, for a pandemic and it's inappropriate. It's going to be fraud and so on. And the U.S. Supreme Court said, nice try, Republicans. It's OK for the legislature to extend that deadline. A week or so later, Wisconsin comes along in court. And what happened there was instead of the legislature in Wisconsin extending the deadline, it was a federal court judge who heard a lawsuit by the Democrats or their friends. And the federal judge said, you know what, this is a pandemic. I'm going to give everybody till the 9th of November, six extra days to get their absentee ballots in the hands of the election folks. And at that point, then that's the cutoff and you count those ballots. And the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, a federal judge does not have the power just because he or she thinks it's fair and a nice idea to extend the deadlines. The legislature could. So this result comes out, and a lot of people are saying, oh, the Supreme Court's hypocritical. They don't know what they're talking about. They're inconsistent. But I think it is consistent to say, look, let the legislature change it. But why should a federal judge have the power to extend it just because the judge thinks it's a nice thing to do? I mean, fundamentally, judges are all about deciding whether it's okay to do something, right? The, the federal judiciary makes constitutional arguments, but in the vast majority of circumstances where the federal judiciary is trying to make uh, an argument about what the right thing to do would be, constitutionality of something is in dispute. It's up in the air. It's hard to tell. It's ambiguous. And as a result, they make a decision about what the right outcome should be. And in this case, this is uh, a, a, a pandemic where we're in a massively, like, uh, new uncharted territory uh, where we've got the Postal Service being intentionally stalled, slowed down, broken apart and fractured uh, in an attempt to make to delegitimize mail in voting. Uh, and they're willing to you know, undermine one of our greatest institutions, the USPS, most successful institutions in the history of America, just to do it, just to maybe hold on to power in an election where they're going to lose massively in the popular vote. And that attempt makes things very, very different. And you have to take all that into account and have context. That's why you have a judge who can say, look, we need to be able to count all the votes. When are the votes? I mean, imagine if you had a law that said count all the votes. That sounds like a good law, right? And then you go in front of the judge and you say, judge, there are circumstances that are going to make it impossible for us to count all the votes because the votes won't have come in through the USPS. Uh, within three days after the election, guaranteed they'll still be postmarked, they'll still have been ma- written in and mailed before the date of the election, but they might take f- up to six days to arrive. And the judge says, okay, well, in order to interpret how do I count all the votes, we're going to say uh, extend the deadline from three days to six days after the election to make sure we can count all the votes. That is what judges do. They interpret laws because the law is always going to say something vague and boring like count all the votes. What the heck does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. That's why you have a judge who interprets something. And when a judge says something like, well, my philosophy of originalism says I get to interpret it only this way and I only bring in this philosophy when it gives me the result I want. That is judges a dereliction of duty. That's them dodging what they should be doing, which so is you're saying, quoting, how do I make this law work, you're which quoting is judge, count all the votes. You're quoting Judge Chatsworth Osborne Jr. there, right? <laughs> now, only three people listening just got that I reference. Don't, I don't understand it's it from at the, all. It's from the Dobie Gillis show in 1950. Uh, okay, well, that explains it. When we come back, we're going to talk about the specific kinds of lawsuits you might be watching in the next week or so after Election Day. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers.
This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. Now I'm still Connor Oaks. So the types of lawsuits, Connor, that might be filed after the election, uh, you know, if it's a blowout, uh, then it's probably not going to stop uh, the loser from filing lawsuits anyway, but they're going to go away very quickly if it's a blowout. It'll just seem silly. Hopefully. But uh, who knows what's going to happen or what is happening. Uh, the types of suits. First, you're going to see challenges over these new voting machines. You're going to see challenges over mail-in ballot deadlines, mm-hmm. voter fraud, uh, there's even litigation about choosing electors that go to the electoral college yep. who should pick them, the voters. That's the scariest stuff, I think. Yeah, you know, or the legislators and so on. But ultimately, I think we're looking at possibly a rerun of 2000 in the sense that only if the electoral college vote is fairly close, such that it could actually be changed, the outcome could be changed by a few you know, big states, swing states, as a result of recounts or irregularities and so on. And to me, I'm just going to be an optimist here and assume that that's a that's a pretty remote possibility that this isn't going to be a blowout one way or the other, and that there are a few states that are, seem to be ripe for litigation and Bush versus Gore yeah. type suits. It just doesn't seem likely that that perfect storm is going to happen. You may be right, actually, and it does seem like if the Trump administration doesn't maybe doesn't uh, just agree with you wholeheartedly, it's at least hedging your its bets in your direction. I'll explain what I mean there by uh, deploying uh, their uh, undercover operative, whose name is Brett Kavanaugh, um, in this most recent uh, it, it absentee ballots election. Uh, I'm sorry, it, it opinion. Uh, where he uh, made absolutely no sense and just parroted the Fox News Kool-Aid nonsense gibberish line. Uh, Wouldn't that be beer? Uh, yeah, he, would, he, he drank the beer, not the Kool-Aid. You're absolutely right. So I'm going to read a, a quote uh, from Kavanaugh in this opinion because I think you're right that it's not going to be about uh, the Electoral College. They think it's going to be about absentee ballots, calling the election early, and trying to pressure Joe Biden's campaign to, uh, to uh, concede while they stop the votes from being counted. I'm going to read you from a Supreme Court court opinion. We're going to analyze whether this sentence makes any sense. He says, states want to avoid the chaos and suspicions of impropriety that can ensue if thousands of absentee ballots flow in after election day and potentially flip the results of an election. That's nonsense. States do not want to avoid the appearance of impropriety that might come from a situation where well, they or somebody up. calls an election. limits. You don't want an absentee ballot coming in a month after the election, do you? You absolutely want all the votes to be counted, period, full stop. That's it. That's what democracy is. You count even, the votes. Even that's if they're it. postmarked after the election? No, those are... Those are not uh, votes cast during the election. Well, the post office that you were praising so highly a few minutes ago, uh, as if nobody's ever gone postal, they're going to get those ballots that are postmarked by November 3rd in within two days, three days, a week. So it's not going to drag into a month. But it might drag into six days, which is what Kavanaugh right. was saying. Uh, that that's that's suspicions of impropriety. That's too much. Look, this is a, this is a, a, an opinion where Kavanaugh is saying states. He's he's implying that states have a motivation, and he's describing that motivation as they want to avoid the the appearance of what it would look like if right. they present one result, and then it, that result gets flipped by a, a ballots coming in after election day. That's not how elections work. It would Kavanaugh look bad on no the state's idea. resume, It would it? absolutely not, because no? the states are never going to call the election until they've counted all the votes. They're not going to say, well, on election night, Trump won. They would never say that, because that's nonsense. Yeah. That'd be like, as, as many people have been saying, that would be like calling the Super Bowl at halftime because one team is ahead. You don't think you Mississippi don't, might do that? You don't call the election until 
all of the votes are in. You don't call the game until all the runs have been scored, right. or the touchdowns uh, thrown. This this is a situation where Kavanaugh is saying something that makes absolutely no sense because the results of the election can't be flipped if there are no results until you get all the votes in and counted. And that is fundamentally, fundamentally the problem. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be electoral college nonsense that Trump uses to steal this election. It's going to be him deploying his stacked and packed Supreme Court, uh, well, Republican the- Supreme Court that tries to... Uh, Lock in a Trump win before the votes can be counted. That's the real fear that I and a lot of liberals have. If it, if it was really nonsense what he said, why don't, why don't you think Clarence Thomas talked him out of it? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Clarence Thomas, beacon of reason and logic uh, and just an overall smart guy just all around, just has a high IQ. So let's uh, shift gears and finally talk about what might happen if the Democrats sweep the way they did uh, with 2008 with uh, President Obama. Oh, be still uh, beating hard. Interesting uh, review in the uh, in the Daily News the other day about when uh, parties controlled everything: the hmm. presidency, the yeah. Senate, and the House. So, like and, Reagan in '84. Well, yeah, actually, I'll, I'll include Reagan. I'll, I'll go down the list here. So, no, most recently, Trump became president, and oh, yeah. when he won, both the Democrats, uh, both the House and the Senate mm-hmm. were in the hands of Republicans. Did he really uh, accomplish a whole lot in those first two years when he ran everything? He promised to get rid of Obamacare. Uh, yeah. I, the consensus is no, it was kind of squandered. Yeah, he just kind of passed a tax cut for millionaires and billionaires. Right. So and let's go back one to Obama. Obama right. gets elected, and sure enough, as I just mentioned, the House and the Senate go Democrat, and he's able to get Obamacare as a result of that. Right. He never, any of the other th- uh, three two-year terms in Obama's eight years, did he have uh, control of both the Senate yeah. and the House. and which you is know, pretty normal for a lot of uh, that's a, a right. lot of presidential that's elections. Right. Same thing happened with Trump. But same thing happened well, with a lot of people. Unlike maybe Reagan. Well, and interestingly, let's go back one now to George W. Bush. And I had forgotten this. He gets elected in 2000. He's got it all his way. Three of the four two-year terms in his eight years, it's Republican on both sides. Republican Democrat in the yeah. Senate and I House. A lot and of- yet— Really, was he able to get some signature accomplishments? Well, I mean, it didn't translate to some gigantic uh, that's move for his agenda. The the same reason that allowed, same thing that allowed him to get three straight of four, uh, you know, triple plays mm-hmm. of the House, the Senate, and the presidency uh, during his uh, election. The same reason that allowed that also derailed um, any major legislative projects, which was September 11th. After he wins in 2000, he's riding high. Yeah, and 9-11 may have been. always yeah. have an incumbent who slumps after that and goes down and down and down and gets less and less popular until eventually they lose uh, or, or their second ter- at the end of the second term. They're very unpopular. <laughs> so generally the pattern. And in his case, he won two extra sets of legislative victories after that because, hey, we were high on 9-11 mm-hmm. and we were making really great decisions politically around that time. Patriot Act. Yeah. All right. So let's go back one to Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton gets elected in 92, and sure enough, it's a sweep. Democrats control the Senate and the House. And then the next three elections during his eight years, it's not a sweep for the Democrats. Going back to George H.W. Bush, Democrats controlled everything throughout his entire single four-year term. Now, finally, we go back to Ronald Reagan. You mentioned Ronald Reagan never once had a Republican Senate and no House way. at the same time. No way. I thought 84, time. he Not, won like 48 states. He, Oh, yeah. He won the presidency, but the Democrats controlled the House when he won in 1980, actually. Wow, so, that, and, that's And wild. it's interesting. He accomplished a lot, including in the view of his defenders, uh, the, the ending of the Cold War successfully and so on, even though he never had that. So bottom line is, 
even if the Democrats sweep, who knows? Maybe they'll be able to exploit that and implement a progressive well, maybe agenda. Maybe they won't really do much of anything. Or maybe not. Maybe Joe We're, Biden will be pretty milk toast. So uh, we don't have a crystal ball, but everybody listening to the podcast knows pretty well hey, what yeah. happened Tuesday night, even if though you, there's totally no way to know who's finally If you're listening to this, that means it's Tuesday or Wednesday. Wednesday morning. So you know what happened. So if you could shoot me a text, because that would be super great to not stress the let uh, you know exactly what over happened. the next 48 hours <laughs> while I tear out uh, every hair on my body. That's how it works. This has been Too Many Lawyers. We'll see you next week.